Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, your co-host, Mackenzie Koss. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Chelsea Pine, Senior Visual Designer for GoodRx. Welcome on, Chelsea. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with Nick again. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. We uh, we used to collaborate quite often when you were the head of design at Soul Pancake in Los Angeles. And it's been many moons since we collaborated on those video projects. I know, many moons. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your background in design and how you got to the role that you're at today at GoodRx? I mean, I could talk all day because my background starts pretty early on. Um, my dad is actually a graphic designer. Um, so I watched him when I was little and fun fact, I even was part of one of his, uh, software packagings, a baby picture of mine went on to, I think it was Del Rena, a software company in the, the in the nineties. Oh, nice. Um, so because of that, uh, he let me have Photoshop elements when I was in junior high and you can imagine the like angsty, weird, like pop bands, you know, <laughs> weird girly things I would make or do my self selfies at the time, self portraits, you know, and edit those. Um, and then I was also lucky to be a part of um, a, a project at school called Freestyle Academy of Arts and Technology in high school. And that's where I dug into design more. We had a digital design course um, our English class, and then we got to choose between filmmaking or web design and web or and web design and audio recording as one class. So I was in the web design and audio recording class, and I for sure thought I was going to be the next Peyton from One Tree Hill. So I took that love and went off to college, thinking I'd be a music producer. Um, another creative path, but different by all means. And that was just not what was meant for me. I just felt like, you know, I could do it. I was very capable, but it just was not natural. So I switched from music production to graphic design with a minor in music. Um, and from there, I was just finishing up two years of a design program, but had that like inherent talent. I, I could say that I'm proud and confident <laughs> in myself. Uh, yeah, that just like was really, it was just really easy to finish um, and really exciting and something I was passionate about. So for all of the push that my dad said to not become a graphic designer, I, I'm the rebel. I can't, I can't do what my parents say. So I fell into design there. Um, and through that, I had I had found um, Soul Pancake through just the internet and some friends recommending Kid President videos and my mom being a teacher and using those videos in her classroom. Um, and I had a profound love for Soul Pancake, so much so that in college when we did our like practical capstone, like write your resume and cover letter for your dream job, it was Soul Pancake. <laughs> wow. Um, so, awesome. yeah, I then magically, I mean, with a little bit of a detour, um, ended up at Soul Pancake because of some connections. I first called um, Goal Reese, who was the creative director, and said, hey, uh, I did 
something for you a little bit as an intern kind of before, would you happen to have a design role? She was like, oh, I'm so sorry. We, we're not hiring right now. Maybe, maybe another time, like go look at these other companies. Um, and I mean, I could be conflating the time, but I think maybe less than a month later, she called me back and was like, so our designer is actually leaving us. Would you like to apply? Um, so kismet happened and I ended up at soul pancake for six years and I was the sole graphic designer on staff. We were a very small and mighty team. As you know, Nick, I spent six years at soul pancake and we covered things from original video content to branded content to TV pitches, which was a, a fun favorite of mine as much as, um, at the time, I would say my life was decks on decks on decks, and it was grueling. Uh, it was really fun and really awesome. Um, and there, Soul Pancake was um, trying to stay afloat and make sure that we could continue to create awesome stuff that matters on the internet. Um, and Participant, which was a film financier, bought Soul Pancake. So we were acquired, and that's where I kind of we still were in the same kind of mission and values and still in the digital space. But um, with Participant, we did a lot more marketing campaigns for films and social impact campaigns. Um, so I got to kind of flex a new a new design skill in the marketing world. Um, and, you know, as everyone knows, the pandemic happened and life changed for everyone. So... I, who knows even, uh, is it like three, four years in, who knows, we're still in a pandemic. Um, <laughs> but like in the middle of the pandemic, uh, Soul Pancake shut its doors. So I had to find something new um, to jump to. And I think at that point, I was ready for a change. Six years at one place is kind of unheard of for millennials. <laughs> I had a friend who would jump every year from company to company. Um, so I was excited for something new. I was looking at what other types of industries I could go in besides entertainment. And that could have been, you know, fashion, music, anything. But I knew deep down, I still wanted something that had that like, mission driven, quote unquote, double bottom line. Um, and I ended up at GoodRx. And that was a really interesting transition too, because as a visual designer, I fall on a product design team in a tech company. So that was a huge transition. But I think a lot of why I was hired was because of those creative skills that I had at Soul Pancake. And they saw that I could fill a gap that wasn't quite there on the team. It's just remarkable. And I want to go back quite a bit when you said you took a uh, web design and audio recording class. Yeah. What a bucket to, to put yourself in. <laughs> and I love how that class led toward a, maybe I'll be an audio and then pivot back to design. And I wonder how that class came to be. Like, we don't have budget for audio oh. and web design. I honestly don't know about why they got lumped together. My only thought is that our teacher... Professor Florendo, I think he had a, a knack for both and wanted to bring both to the program. And we were also very, very privileged to be in a Bay Area school that was able to get um, special support and funding to have a program like this. We had two high schools that fed into this program. But yeah, it was really interesting, especially because like the other class was very focused, like they're film and that's all they do. Um, <laughs> so to do both web and audio 
It might have also had to do with like Flash was all the rage. So doing animation um, and doing Flash websites, you you could incorporate audio into your websites and things like that. There's a lot of weird, weird things that. Yeah. (laughs) You'd mishmash in that class. (laughs) Do you mind sharing a little bit about the philosophies that the founders of Soul Pancake, which was pretty iconic hub for storytelling content. They did properties, like you mentioned, like Kid President, which was immensely viral. I mean, for me, what else was like street stunts? That was a big one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was like bringing little moments of joy on the streets. Was that kitten therapy? Is that a part of that? Yes. Yeah, that one was totally what a heartwarming video where they just took a random person, put them (laughs) in this sort of pristine box, and then little kittens emerged. And just seeing people like... Filled with joy. <laughs> I mean, that's hugely what Shabnam would talk about and still talks about is the joy. Um, but for me also, I, I didn't even mention, I loved Soul Pancake when it was a book as well. And so their tagline when it was a book was chew on life's big questions. And I really loved that they tried to take these really important topics, but make them relatable, simplistic and joyful. Um So I had been a fan since the book, since Kid President, and also Kid President is just like so profound for being so simple and cute and relatable. Um, So that's really what drew me to them. But yeah, the philosophies were just kind of like the humanness of it. And and I know that comes from a space of how um, our founders personally lived their lives, but I also appreciated how it could transcend um, their personal beliefs or religious beliefs um, and also just be something that was connecting people. Can you talk about how that transformation happened from such like a, an open-hearted and mission-driven creative storytelling organization Uh, to now landing at a telemedicine company. And how does that translate visually? First of all, I work on the side for GoodRx Health, which is an information, um, health information website. So think WebMD, but better if I can say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, be Um, proud. And that's that's what um, really drew me to to GoodRx was like, okay, we're trying to create this initiative. It was also hadn't launched at the time that I joined. So it was kind of coming in at the ground floor. And we all get down that WebMD rabbit hole. And for me, I was like, how do we make this more interesting and less scary? So a lot of times when I approach graphics that go along with written content, I come from my personal design sensibilities while also fitting in that sandbox of GoodRx of being playful and fun. I have the ability to do that because I'm on the editorial team, not the marketing team. I think I'm not doing the social media posts. I'm not doing the the commercials that you see. Um, we are purely to educate users on how to improve their health and what is the best way to do that with relatable graphics. Yeah. Can you talk about anything that you've worked on at GoodRx that you're particularly proud of? Something I was really <laughs> proud of was to be a part of the initiative to get a skin tone palette represented in our illustration style. When I was brought on, we had a new branding guide implemented that was done by an external agency. We had some really cool illustration styles that were going to be implemented, but they were all just quote unquote transparent figures. They didn't have skin tone. And 
I felt like that was really, really important, especially in the health information side. side. So together with our health team, we really advocated for skin tone colors in our illustrations and not only on our health side, but across the whole company. And we were able to do that. And that was really exciting and meaningful. Sometimes maybe it was a little met with resistance, but it was, I think, the right choice and really proud to say that I was part of that initiative. Yeah, I love that. And it's such a simple, simple design uh, implementation, I'm sure. Or maybe not simple. Any t- anytime you talk to a non-designer, they'll be like, it's simple, right? You just put it in. <laughs> Designers are just grinding their teeth. But it's so profound, especially in this time when, like you said, you're trying to bring a sense of humanity or a sense of you know, relatability mm-hmm. to this to this website that can often be scary and sometimes maybe seeing some translucent figure that's like an indication of a human being with a sore or something, you know, like. Yeah. Uh, just having a subtle design element that goes, oh, this person is reflective of me in this way or, or I see myself a little bit more in this, in this representation. Um, I think it's cool and I think it's important. Another part of GoodRx for me is that I got to start exploring a different realm of design, which is product design. And I have a wonderful boss who nurtured that and saw that I could translate those visual skills and that like knack for creativity and also elevate the user experience um, and marry the UI with the UX. So I'm starting to learn a little bit of product design, very much scratching the surface, but that's something I'm proud of as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. And also, uh, what a great thing to have a, a boss that encourages uh, learning and and adapting to new skills and, and new ways of design, because it feels like so often, it reminds me of like, if you went on one of the job boards and saw like, you need these skills to work here. <laughs> and if you don't have those, it doesn't say like, you need to be able to learn some of these skills to work here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we want someone who's dedicated and capable and curious and hungry. That's so true. I like thinking about the the like resume and like the requirements. You can know 10% of it, right? And you can learn more and become an expert. So I like wording it more of like willing to learn or knows the basics, yeah. ready to be an expert type thing. Can you talk about any creative philosophies that sort of thread through your work as a designer? I think one of the key ones for me is, and I kind of learned this at Soul Pancake, especially with those pitch decks, was that there is art in design, but there is a balance, right? You can have you can have something really creative, really fun, but design is inherently a way of communicating and the, the viewer has to understand that as well. But you can have both and you can be playful um, with your design and artful, but just trying to figure out that balance. So I feel like I... I definitely hold on to that one. Um, I And also, I never used to, I still probably don't call myself an artist. I'm not a painter. My my dad's a, an artist and designer. He's painted beautiful things, drew me. When I was in junior high, I asked for a picture of Hayden Christensen from Star Wars as Solid. <laughs> Darth Vader. Yes. And I got this yes. beautiful charcoal sketch from him. But I've never been able to say, like, I'm I'm an artist. I always say, like, I'm a designer and I'm a creative. But there is art in design and finding that balance. So where do you think that line is in definition? Or have you thought about what the difference is between an artist and a designer? Design is communication in a visual medium. And art is something that makes you feel something without being very explicit. Sometimes you don't like art. 
I mean, and sometimes people don't like your designs either, but that doesn't mean anything against you personally. That's something I've definitely had the long and winding road to figure out. But yeah, I think there still can be things in design that make you feel or make you inclined or enticed or drawn in, things like that. So that's how I think you can inject art into design. That's awesome. Can you go into some of the creative risks that you've taken throughout your career and even times where you've had to navigate the creative world as a woman? These are very twofold. It's just big questions. <laughs> you have literally taken the soul pancake life's big questions to. Oh, to just the wait. There's even so more. I'm going to attribute end. that. To yeah. <laughs> as much of a rebel as I am, I do feel like I shy away from risks, but I am also that outspoken person no matter what. So I will be the person in the meeting to share my ideas, um, tell you what I think is wrong, but in an appropriate critique way. Um, but in, in general, I think something that was a creative risk for me because it was, it was always hard to be motivated to do my own work was that, um, my husband and I, during the pandemic, tried, and keyword tried, we did not keep up with it, to do um, this really awesome creative project together and make an Instagram account called Aglio Cantina. Um, so right now he's on on his way to graduate culinary school. So this, this was before that, but at the time he was making amazing, amazing dinners. Like every night was a full like six course meal. He couldn't just do, you know, your what I consider my traditional mom dinner of just like chicken and rice. That's it. It was like, I have to have all the sides. I have to do everything. There's a vegetable and yeah. But so he, he would create amazing um, food and I would photograph and put them on Instagram and also created a whole branded look um, for, for our own little creative project. And that was, there was like no real things to lose. No, things to like criteria to meet. I was like, what do I like? What do I want to have here? Um, so it was a really low risk, I guess, but it was a creative risk for me because I had never done that kind of work where there wasn't those bounding boxes, um, especially um, the bounding boxes of like the corporate world or the, the, the company you're working for. I love that. Uh, what was one of your favorite meals that he made? Cause I'm curious now. Oh my gosh. Um, so one of the ones that he makes consistently is this big Mediterranean meal based on some of Odalangi's recipes, yes. who is a I think, Jerusalem. Israeli, <laughs> yeah, Jerusalem, <laughs> yeah, uh, based in London uh, chef. And he's, again, made the Mahamara, which is one of my favorite dips. Amazing. It's like a red pepper dip. Um, he also did amazing quail once. Um, I don't even know. Right now at, at school, he's been focusing on um, the Philippines and where else? Oh, my goodness. But he's brought home. I can't even count how many times he's brought home adobo and oxtail and different like amazing, amazing Ooh, things. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I feel like you're both benefiting from it because you get to <laughs> try it with him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, back to your part two, which I think is the biggest thing of all and in my notes if you could see it visually is the longest section <laughs> <laughs> I love it um navigating the creative world as a woman I mean I can kind of chron ch chronologize is that even a word am I making things up now am I being too creative 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make, chronologize. Yeah, <laughs> chronologize. I, I think that there works. We go. That works. There we go. Put okay. things in a chronological um, order. <laughs> there, yeah. yeah. Chronologize is just shorter and more fun. Yes. <laughs> chronologize. <laughs> I know it's not a word. Well, back to, to college and being in the music program, in the music recording program, it was A, a very small, small course. I think there was about 20 of, 20 of us total um, in like two freshman, sophomore classes. Um, but that's inherently a male dom industry. Um, and I felt, like I said, I felt very capable. I could continue to learn. I could get the grades. But I was always a little slightly out of place. Um, and I think not that I think it pushed me even more to do design. I think inherently that's who I am, but it definitely was that feeling of like, this is a boys club and this yeah. just seems to come naturally to them. And this is not really my place. Um, but I think friends from high school, too, are like proving me wrong. I have a, a friend who is an audio engineer on Broadway and she's a badass. Um, so things have shifted. But at the time, I just kind of that was like the the best way to describe it. It was just slightly out of place, like not not anything yeah. like big, but just out of place. Um, and the design industry seemed to, especially in our class in, in college, was a very, very much balanced. Like there were just as many, if not more women in the program. Um, and I mean, you could probably go into the psychology of it all and like why women are more gravitated, gravitated. Wow. Why women gravitate more to a creative field. Um, but then you also look in like high powered creative and marketing executives, tend to be male as well. So who knows? Um, but it felt like it had more of a balance for me. Um, and then in general, as, as you can tell now, I love to talk. I'm very outspoken. I, I'm like very firm in what I believe and very, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, fiery and passionate. And, uh, that I have had to learn to navigate. I don't <laughs> want to say that I like, cur like, curbed myself but I've definitely had more instances where I walk away and be like this wouldn't happen if I was a man like I can't be that full person like I have had repercussions because of that type of um, perceived anger and I know also mm -hmm. as a white woman though I have the ability to live in that space more than a lot of my friends of color um, and I do use that a lot, I hope, um, to be a voice for women who feel like they they can't and have that stereotype on them for being the angry person in the room. Um, but yeah, I've I've felt like I, I've had to just kind of like learn to step back a little bit. Um, the corporate world is strange. It is built on pure patriarchy. Acronyms. <laughs> Acro oh, so, okay. Acronyms <laughs> and patriarchy. Oh, the Acronyms man jumps in. Patriarchy. Acronyms. You're like, no, I was talking <laughs> yeah. about patriarchy. Okay. Okay. I'll got it. I'll take a step back. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't feel like I've had to curb myself entirely or or mute myself, but sometimes I can't fully show up. Um, I've definitely been called overly emotional a lot. And I think there has been a shift and you can bring your emotions to the workplace, but for a while, it kind of felt like a very 
taboo thing to do, you know, like you can't really cry at work, you try to hide it. Um, But I also was going through a really rough time with mental health issues and realize and reflect that like I needed help, but also no one was really recognizing that they just said, just get over it type thing or not really acknowledging that I was having a hard time or a hard day. Someone pointed out the correlation between the rise in Zoom being sort of accepted and 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 entering into your coworkers' homes and private spaces mm-hmm. that has almost helped bring more of like uh, an awareness of our where we are in our lives and what we're going through and like a lot of mental health themes into the office and maybe helped companies get a little bit less like, because it used to be put on your little suit, go into the office and like, mm-hmm you know, check out of your individuality. (laughs) Like you are now part of the machine. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Severance is is the show you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) And now it feels a lot more embracing of everyone, what we all bring to the table, uh, you know, warts and all, to forgive the phrase. I think it's awesome, though, that you are willing to put yourself out there because it can be a scary thing at work, especially in the corporate world. Cause you're like, do I raise my hand? Do I, is it okay to say this? And kind of pushing past that your own barriers of like, well, this is something that I think should be talked about or at least brought up and at least get people thinking and maybe, you know, people thinking of others at work and, mm-hmm. you know, how the project or whatever you're discussing in a meeting can shift and different perspectives, because I think there has been a pattern of like one perspective, especially in the corporate world, and being able to, no matter, you know, what seat you have at the table, quote unquote, everyone is welcome and is able to, you know, speak their piece. I think that's something to be proud of and awesome that you're confident to do that because it, it's scary. I mean, it I, I totally get it. depends on the situation. <laughs> For right? sure. I've had yeah. my moments where I feel like you, you get that slap on the hand and you're like, yeah. oh, okay, this is where I can't. Right. But um, overall, I, I definitely still feel like the very outspoken person. I've never really been afraid of that. And I think Soul Pancake a lot had to do with that. There was it was a very, for lack of a better word, informal environment. It was small, wasn't a publicly traded company. And we definitely had a little bit more leeway there. Can you share a little bit about how your personal growth has been a factor in your overall creative growth? So I mentioned a little bit about dealing with some mental health issues. And it finally, I think, was the point where I realized, um, and especially looking back, that if this like breakdown that I had didn't happen, I wouldn't be this like productive, creative person that I am today, if that makes sense. Um, It was, you know, I was burnt out. I was having a breakdown. I had no control over my emotions. And I had a really empathetic HR representative, a participant, see that I needed help. And she physically came to pick me up um, and take me to the urgent care to get psychiatric help. And after that point, like going through that whole process and taking time off, like I took weeks off to just be able to like focus on myself and just now years of having a psychiatrist as well as a psychologist. Um, 
I feel like I've like had that swirling train of thoughts like gone sometimes or like all those negative thoughts that I mean everyone has but I feel like they've been curbed a lot with the treatment of my mental health conditions and I can just like not care about if it's perfect I can not care or be paralyzed by the fear uh, of doing well or if I'm as good as the other person Um, and I can just kind of creatively flow I mean obviously there's going to be points where it's more difficult but I'll just throw everything on the page and see what sticks and just keep going and going and going and come up with more ideas because I don't have a lot of those blockers that were kind of triggered by my depression and anxiety. Um, So that was huge for me, like absolutely huge. And it wasn't like it was stigmatized for me and my family. And it was definitely changing for everyone in the world at the point I was and where I was uh, at Soul Pancake. But, you know, it's still it's still scary. Yeah, I think that was really beautiful. Thank you for sharing. That's some sensitive stuff. Yeah, thank you. Our next segment, we ask these questions to everyone that's been on the podcast. And you'll probably remember some of these questions because they were a part of that Soul Pancake series, zero to 100. (laughs) That's where I got them from. (laughs) But the first question is, what have you done recently for the very first time? I was in Australia for a friend's wedding. And for her bachelorette, we did like a paint and sip. And I, like I said, don't consider myself an artist, but we did a beautiful painting of... um, we call them birds of paradise. And that inspired me to pick up really cheap paint from target and try to paint one more thing. Um, one of my favorite restaurants in Italy, I tried to paint that and it, it's absolutely terrible. Not only because of the paint that I chose, it's just like, you know, kids tempera paint on canvas. I didn't, who knows what target was thinking, (laughs) advertising those next to each other. Um, the time I spent over the two days just like sitting down and like zoning out was awesome. And I should do that more again, should, uh, but I don't, (laughs) but I would love to do another one. And that was something I did for the first time. Nice. I love it. Um, I, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's worth admitting. That's like, yeah, I tried something, uh, that I wasn't great at. (laughs) I think, (laughs) I think a lot of people, uh, especially as we get older, we tend to like our lanes shrink to the things that we feel competent at or that we feel good at. And like getting into yeah. one of those uh, scary lanes that might might have some skills that we didn't develop yet is is challenging. Um, but I commend you because that is a it's a bold uh, realization to be like, yeah, as a professional designer, <laughs> that I, can, I hang my head on that. <laughs> I tried to paint yep. and it was terrible. Yep. I, I kept on thinking you were going to be like, we painted this beautiful man as a, <laughs> as a, yeah, uh, no. because you were like, bachelorette party, paint and sip. We all, paint. Oh. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and I couldn't remember the word for birds of paradise. <laughs> yeah. Next question is, uh, if you were invited to a show and tell right now, is there an item that you think you would bring and why? I don't know if I could physically bring this, but. I have a 1924 player piano that I inherited from my grandparents. Wow. And I like it is my like a lot of my core memories are around it. There are pictures of me sitting there playing it um, through my whole life. And I was always like, this is what I'm going to one of the things I'm going to hold on to this family heirloom. And 
a lot of things were happening when my grandparents passed away and we weren't sure if we were going to be able to keep it because it's a very large, heavy thing. Um, but m- magically, we we were able to, and now it's in my house. But it is like a party trick, I feel like. And it's an amazing show-and-tell item. Every time I have people come over, I show them, and their mind is completely blown. <laughs> like, the the actual, like, tacticalness of how this piano plays itself, I don't know how to describe it on, in audio form. Like, you literally pump with your feet, and it yes. triggers the, like, the the scroll the the sheet music to turn and the air pumps through it and it magically plays itself like and they built that in 1924 like it's impossible um but it's my little party trick and everyone loves it and i will bring it to every show and tell yeah i that's awesome i love that that might be my favorite one yet player piano from 1924 yeah um which is also core memories (laughs) It's where all all of the core memories live. Um, Our final question is, if you were to meet a younger version of yourself, what advice do you think you would give? I think the one thing, and and we kind of talked about this a lot, is just get help. Get help sooner. It's okay. Um, I think that, like, it really changed my life. Not just because of a pharmaceutical drug, but the compassion that people had. And just knowing that, like, it's it's not me. My brain has just a different baseline. Like, everyone, quote unquote, normal is at zero and I'm at negative 10. So I need a little oomph. So if I can tell my younger self anything, it would be just get help sooner. It's okay. Oh, it's powerful. And I That's think good. it'll help people. It feels really lovely to to reconnect in a professional sense after many, many years. It's just a cool feeling um congrats on all the great work you're doing and thank you so much for being a part of this yeah thank you so much chelsea is there anything that you would like to plug or direct people on where to find GoodRx? any cool things you want them to check out check out GoodRx for any um of your weird health questions you know like googling what's that mole um we have that answer (laughs) so uh (laughs) Yeah, we're just remember everyone, we're the new WebMD. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.